Welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. My name's Alex Gruskin. I'm your host. We have a tremendous guest for you today. If you followed us on social media, you know we at Cracked Rackets are a big fan of this coach. Uh, he is a character and a staple in college tennis, a guy whose teams are always there at the end of the tournament. It's Ohio State men's coach Ty Tucker. Ty, thank you so much for coming on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, and I look forward to... Uh a little bit of with you. <laughs> I like it. Well, then, the first thing I have to say uh, to our listeners who don't know, I had a tennis coach back in the day by the name of Edward Nagel, who I know you know well, and he said the first question I have to ask you is, your relationship with Mr. Michigan 1989, Mike Anthony, uh, is that really who you've modeled yourself after throughout your career? You know, Mike Anthony, uh, early on in my career, I thought maybe I would uh, get into... Uh, you know, heavy lifting, and uh, so I lived with uh, Mike Anthony and Leslie Towers in uh, Southfield, Michigan. So uh, Mike Anthony was, uh, you know, a character, and uh, we, we had a good time for six months. Uh, he gets me, uh, I, I still uh, do about six or eight of the exercises he taught me uh, in my uh, daily workout in the gym, so <laughs> well, Mike Good man. Uh, having senior Ohio State teams, clearly something translated. And, you know, you've got the bodybuilder's physique. You could pull it off. I don't know if, I, <laughs> I don't know if I've got that, but uh, I certainly enjoy uh, lifting and running for about an hour a day. That uh, makes uh, my team, my wife, my dog, everybody be able to handle me. I need <laughs> a little bit of uh, relief for people to uh, be able to take me in uh, more than small doses. Oh, I can imagine. I swear, Ed still has to bench every day. It takes 15 minutes in between lessons, and it's his personal hour. That's his thing. So, you know. I've, I've, I've got yeah, exactly. to do my 30 to 40 minutes on the weights and uh, two and a half miles on the treadmill, and then uh, people can deal with me. Well, then we'll try this for a segue. Obviously, you're in shape now, but, you know, early on when you're starting your tennis career uh, back in Zanesville, Ohio, uh, was that an attitude you had throughout your career? Or just what was your involvement with tennis? Was it something you always took really seriously? You know, the funny thing is, if you don't know, I got started playing tennis due to another Michigan guy, Mark Mace. Okay. Mark Mace, who ended up coaching Michigan for five or six years. Uh, my first year as head coach was his first year as a head coach at Michigan. He actually took over for Coach Eisner, but he won many, many Big Ten titles with Coach Eisner through the 80s and uh, got out of the game and uh, went to the Cleveland Racket Club for a little while. And then when Brian Eisner stepped away, Mark Mace was hired to coach Michigan for a five or six-year period. But he's from Zanesville, Ohio. He dated my sister and probably 10 or 12 years older than me and he was a great junior tennis player in, in a small town like Zanesville, Ohio and uh, he's the guy that uh, got me into tennis. So. And was it something you know, where no. you knew right away that was the sport you wanted to stick with or you know I you think Ohio obviously the big thing Ohio you know, State football. I was telling this story a couple days ago that uh, you know my dad moved from uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, started county practice and uh, Zanesville, Ohio, and 
you know, so we had to drum up business, so we had a membership to the country club. So, you know, they put us in the tennis and the golf program, and uh, uh, just to mess around, we played the basketball and the baseball and uh, football through uh, seventh and eighth grade. But uh, we were over at the country club, my brother and I, and uh, funny thing about it is uh, the guy that was teaching us golf, the guy that was teaching tennis was the head coach at Ohio University, named Cotton Stevenson, coached OU for many years in tennis, and the uh, – uh, the uh, guy that was uh, the, the golf pro was Paul Thomas, who's Justin Thomas's grandfather. Oh, of course. So from the uh, Saintsville Country Club came people like Michelle Redmond from the LPGA. She played on the LPGA for years, and Tammy Green, and uh, so and guys like you know Mark Mace were coming out of Saintsville playing tennis. Kelly Boyce, who I think was an All-American at Northwestern, was from Saintsville, came played uh, tennis out of Zanesville, Ohio, and kind uh, of, you know, few. A couple good athletes come out. Uh, Kevin Morton just uh, retired from 12 years in the NBA. Jay Payton, 12 or 15 years in Major League Baseball. And, uh, so Zanesville, Ohio's had some uh, some good, solid athletes. But uh, I never thought, uh, you know, it was anything other than to do in the summertime. But uh, all of a sudden, I got uh, pretty pretty good you know for when you're playing with a size 60 racket and it's about who was more consistent who was more tenacious <laughs> and uh you know i had a lot of success early on in the 12th and the 14th numbers well so let's talk about some of your early success i warned you beforehand there would be a little bit of trivia this is going to be our first round of it i want to take our listeners back to the OHSAA State Singles Tournament. This is the AAA Division, 1985. We have a young high school freshman from Zanesville by the name of Ty Tucker who takes home the title. Do you remember who you beat in the final of that tournament? You know, I absolutely remember who I beat. The funny thing is, is uh, my boss's wife, Jean Smith, who's the athletic director at Ohio State, Sheila Smith, was uh, at the University of Virginia doing some work last week with the University of Virginia, and she uh, sent me a text and said, by the way, do you know Scott Doctor? And I said, yeah, Scott Doctor's still mad that I beat him. He was a senior, I was a freshman, and uh, I won the state high school championship uh, beating Scott Doctor, who went on and had a nice career at the University of Virginia. That is so funny. I am so impressed that you remember that. I did a similar, we interviewed uh, Torpegard earlier this year, and he couldn't remember any of that. So clearly the competitive spirit starts up top for the Buckeyes. I love it. Uh, but okay, I want to move on to, uh, you know, talking about your junior career and you making your own college decision, you know, being a college coach now, you have you know so much more uh, wherewithal of what happens behind the scenes and how to make that choice. But when you were, you know, a young high school student, was it always, I want to stay in state and play for the Buckeyes? Or did you really look around to, you know, see your options and see where you could play? You know, lots of doing well in 82, 83, and 84, and then in the 12s, 12 and under, 14 and under, there was no tennis uh, left to play in Zanesville, Ohio, and keep progressing at the level I was. So I had to, to Nick Bolletary, doing some uh, Saddlebrook, the Florida Tennis Academies, if I was going to keep up with, uh, you know, keep up with the uh, other great players at that time. So, you know, after, you know, spending two and a half years of my four years of high school running tennis academies in Florida, I, I knew that, uh, you know, I wanted to be home uh, at Ohio State uh, playing college tennis. I do want to talk about your time playing for the Buckeyes. Uh, 
was that when you fell in love with the school, or as you mentioned, as a kid from Zanesville, were you always a Buckeye fan? As a kid from Zanesville, we were, you know, breaking leaves and doing anything we could to uh, keep uh, mom and dad happy so they'd take us to Buckeye football games. So, <laughs> you know, the, the love affair started uh, with, with Ohio State football at uh, four or five, six years old. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, getting to play for the Buckeyes right away, you know, Ohio State at that time wasn't at the level it was now, but you look at your uh, freshman year, I believe you guys came in fourth in the Big Ten, and just to jump into that, I know you played one singles right away. Uh, what I was... played Ballard Washington at the University of Michigan. Uh, Washington and I had battled all through the juniors. He was a year older, as with David Cass. David Cass was my age, and they both gone to Michigan, and I'd actually taken a recruiting trip to Michigan because Mark Mace was the assistant coach at the time, so... You know, I, I uh, you know, got to play Malavai, lost in the third set to uh, Malavai at the uh, old uh, indoor tennis center for uh, Michigan, which uh, had a track around it. <laughs> it uh, you know, the uh, the facilities that you see at the Ohio State for Michigan uh, today. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, but, but another freshman was Todd Martin at Northwestern. So, yeah. you know, we weren't getting the credit. But, uh, you know, if you look back at uh, – you know, outside of Isner and outside of James Blake, and I tell a lot of people this all the time, I mean, most of the guys that have had successful ATP tour runs from college came from indoor climates, and I really believe that uh, that's due to the fact that, you know, if you're an American kid, you have to win on hard courts, and there's no uh, better uh, better way to learn to uh, that the important thing is holding serve than uh, playing college tennis inside, because it's, it's unforgiving, it's you get uh, broken once, uh, you can lose a set 6-4. And that's what you need when you're 17 or 18 years old and you're coming out of junior tennis and it's, who's making more balls is winning. You need to realize pretty quick if you're going to be a pro that uh, American tennis is about holding serves. So, you know, it's interesting to see if you look back and you see the Malibu Washingtons, you see the top marks, you see the James Blakes, you see a lot of guys that make huge dents and, pro tennis, you know, grew up playing in a, you know, in a colder climate where they had to uh, play more indoor tennis. So I, I do want to get back to your own college career, of course, but you touched on too many things there that that we can't. No, I love it. That, that's exactly what I was looking for, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, indoors versus outdoor tennis, I, you know, being a coach of an indoor team, when you're going abroad to Europe, talking to the Torpegards, the Steinbecks, the Polonins, and you're saying, hey, you're going to be spending, you know, most of your year playing indoors, but that's going to be something to your benefit. You know, is that one of the pitches you have to make? Of course, that's obviously a, a great pitch. Let's not forget the Lodge Roller. Yeah, of course. How could I forget? You talk huh? about the, the Torpegards, the Steinbecks. You're, 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 you're forgetting, uh, yeah. you know, one of the three best Buckeyes ever, Lodge Roller from Slovenia. And uh, yes, that's absolutely, you know, the pitch. You know, if you got to play professional tennis, you have to be good on hard courts, and you have to be good on clay courts to give yourself a fair shot. So most of these Europeans have the have the clay court game down, and you know, to learn how to uh, play an aggressive game on hard court, uh, obviously that's one of the things we're selling. Well, I think I've tried to block out the Blas Rolla era. That was just a lot of bad losses for Michigan, and you know, that was you know, we had started a precipitous decline in those few years, 2012 through 2014. So, no, no disrespect to you, Blas. You're a heck of a player, but uh, no, I, I don't think. I think Michigan had great teams. 
2012 to 2014. I think back then, the NCAA, some of the glory years of Ohio State tennis, as you said, were those times. And a lot of times, Michigan got stuck being sent to the NCAA, which they changed that rule where a Big Ten team can't come. You can't play a Big Ten team in the first two rounds. But there were many times where Michigan had to come to Ohio State to play the second round of the NCAA tournament. They had some great teams, and, you know, we, we were stacked. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about some of those great teams, uh, you know, so many throughout your years as a Buckeye coach, but I want to talk about your own individual success because you are a two-time qualifier at the NCAA Individual Tournament for Singles, and obviously, yeah, you know, being that he's also from Ohio, you're going to remember this, but 1991, round of 16, who took you out? Washingtons, the Martins, uh, all of these great tennis talents, and you know all of those guys like yourself went to college. But was that something where you know I, I don't want you to speak for them, but speaking for yourself, you guys, you think you all had pro aspirations, and college was a means to an end, not just the end step. I just think that everybody, you know, back then, I just think that uh, you know you, you go to the Midwest at that time, and uh, you know the top Martin. Murphy Jensen, who won our, you know, from Michigan, Ludington, Michigan, who won our Grand Slam title with his brother in doubles, and, you know, I, I can go on and on and on with all of the great players that came, but I just think that everybody kind of, uh, you know, drove each other to, uh, to to another level, and you kept, uh, you know, you kept trying to uh, get better and better because you knew that the Washingtons and the Cassins and the Cricksteins and the Robbie Weiss and all the guys that came before in the Midwest, and you know, it's just, it was, you know, a great, great era of, uh, of junior tennis in the U.S. I mean, that's even before you, you, you get into guys that were our age, like Jeff Tarango and uh, uh, Pete Sampras and John Stark and Andre Agassi and uh, Jim Courier and Michael Chang and John Stark and Jared Palmer. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of guys that were so successful that was playing junior tennis and, uh, you know, the 12 and under from 82 to the 18 and unders in uh, 1988. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about all of these guys and, you know, playing against them uh, on these future sat and in these satellite events, uh, you know, did you enjoy your time as a professional or did you know you were going to hop into the coaching ranks pretty soon? You know, I did. I, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, every minute of uh, being able to uh, play and battle and, you know, play Sargisian, play Claire, played a, 
bunch of guys that ended up uh, being great. But it came to a point where I realized that I wasn't going to be that guy in singles, but there was a shot to be that guy in doubles. Did I want to keep a couple more years out there? Was it time to transition into the next part of my life? And I just decided that it was it was time. Time for me to, uh, you know, look at a different, uh, you know, path for me. So. Yeah, and in 1999, you come back as the head coach of Ohio State, but before then, you went back, finished up your degree, uh, you know, so you really have been a lifelong Buckeye, uh, you know, coming in as the head coach, what were your thoughts, you know, what was the transition from full-time player to full-time coach? Obviously, you've built the Ohio State program to, you know, to have so much success now, but at that time, it was not the same Ohio State, so what was that like hopping into your alma mater? You know, it started a little bit before that. I'd obviously gone to Detroit, uh, straight out of uh, straight off the circuit to uh, work in Detroit. And, uh, you know, work with a good, solid junior program. And after six or seven months, my coach had, had uh, invited me to. Uh, you know, he wanted me to get into the, the coaching game, and I'd always talked about getting into the coaching game with him when I was when I was done. And uh, you know, so I, I went back as a volunteer assistant for about six months. And uh, funny enough, another uh, uh, after my six months, I was made the assistant coach for the full-time assistant coach for Ohio State. And funny enough, the volunteer assistant would be Bruce Burke, another <laughs> Michigan coach, head no. coach for 10 or 11 years. So in my first year as an assistant coach, Bruce Burke was the volunteer assistant. Of course. The plot thickens. I love it. You're right. <laughs> so, you know, it was Exactly. And just in terms of getting your feet set, you know, what was more important to you? Was it implementing your system in doubles? Was it bringing in the right kids recruiting wise? Uh, what are the things you focused on then and, you know, continue to focus you know, on now? I mean, I, I focused on putting a sense around Ohio. You know, I met with, uh, when I got the uh, assistant coaching job, there have been so many, if you, if you look back at all the Americans that graduated high school in 1988, uh, uh, that went on to be college All-Americans that graduated high school from Ohio in 1988. You had Greg Seelkop, who ended up being an All-American at uh, at Clemson. You had Dan Cronaughty, who's Justin's uncle, who ended up being an All-American at uh, at uh, Ball State. You had David Cass, who ended up being a three-time All-American at Michigan. I was a two-time All-American at Ohio State in three seasons. And, uh, you know, and I was the only Ohio guy that went to Ohio State. So, you know, coming out of, uh, coming out of uh, uh, pro tennis and I'm looking around and trying to learn as much as I can about college tennis, I'm seeing guys like Ryan Satchery, a multi multiple All-American at Notre Dame, Justin O'Neill from Lima, Ohio, who's at Florida, doing big things, and two or three or four-time All-American. You had Jeff Morrison, who came right across the river from Ohio, where Hunter Tubert's from, from Huntington, West Virginia, who I think was the NCAA champion, and uh, we weren't getting those Ohio guys, so I thought, you know what, I've got to uh, I've got to get these Ohio guys, and in my first uh, year out there recruiting full-time, I was able to... Uh, to land uh, the two top players in the Midwest, even though, you know, we hadn't won a match in the Big Ten for a couple of years uh, as a program, you know, we, we hadn't won a match uh, in the Big Ten. And uh, I was able to, to, to help land uh, Vincent Eng and Phil Metz, who both went on to have 
great, great careers early in my career. Of course, and you talk about, you know, the term you use, putting a fence around Ohio. So that really is part of your recruiting thing, is you want to dominate the state of Ohio. Obviously, now you see the Wolves, the McNallys, but even going back, taking a chance on a guy like Peter Cobelt, who wasn't the blue-chip recruit, you know, not the same level as, say, an Evan King, but just really locking down those Ohio players. Is it, you know, it's something you see in them? I was most proud of the fact, you know, for... There was a stretch there, a long stretch, where uh, there were no Ohio kids playing on top 25 teams in the country in college tennis that weren't at Ohio State. And that was, uh, you know, maybe one of my uh, first, uh, you know, little trophies that uh, <laughs> that uh, put away in my pocket that uh, made me pretty happy that I was able to uh, keep these Ohio guys there and we weren't getting beat by Ohio guys. So that started me to... Uh, you know, that, that that made me feel like, you know, I was doing something decent and maybe I could coach a little bit. And, uh, you know, started trying to, uh, you know, grab some good Midwest players who knew their way around the indoor court, trying to uh, sprinkle in a, a couple of, uh, you know, legitimate European guys like a Stephen Monica or a Dennis Mertens early on in career and guys like that that could, uh, you know, we weren't going to get the boys from California and Florida. I mean, when you're going up against USC and you're going up against UCLA and you're going up against Stanford, I mean, most of these tennis parents that have kids that I'm recruiting, the parents have been driving them around from 10 years old to 18 years old, and, and they're more addicted to the tennis than, than the athletes. So all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to, when these parents realize their kids aren't going to be professionals, they start thinking, you know, we want to stay part of this kind of thing. You know, it's been our life for the last eight or ten years, so it's hard to talk the good ones in to, you know, not going to UCLA or not going to USC or not going to Florida. I mean, when you're looking at the national junior rankings, you know, it's always 12 of the best 20 are coming from Florida or California. So we knew that we, to, we, we knew that we were going to have to find our, you know, top top 12 American in, in, in Europe, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you talk about the buy-in that you have to have and just in terms of having Columbus as the base. And obviously you've talked about how the Ohio State tennis facilities have transformed. But just the, having the entire, you know, Ohio State University and even the town of Columbus invest into the tennis team. And then, you know, you talk about being able to host uh, professional events like Futures and Challengers events now in Columbus. Uh, how beneficial has that been to the program? Well, I mean, it's just one step. You know, a lot of times you get into coaching, you think it's about, you know, recruiting, which which it is, and you think it's about coaching and then game day coaching. And then, you know, it's obviously it's a certain level and you realize, you know, it's, a, it's about more. It's about having tournaments. It's about having carrots, you know, and, uh, it's about having great facilities. Uh, it's you know we played in a four court indoor for for the first uh, twelve years of my career. A little Quonset Hut building called the Jesse Owens Sports Center. <laughs> you know where matches would last five hours. Five and six would would have to wait three hours before they went on. And, uh, you know, so all of a sudden you realize that uh, you know it's it, you've got to do a little more than 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 recruit and train your players and build a schedule you're going to have to you know keep these guys happy who are all looking to play a good amount of professional tennis while they're in, while they're uh, competing in college yeah definitely and just you know again you talk about all of the components that go into coaching 
you know, I would be remiss if I let you get off this podcast without talking about the value of the doubles point in college tennis. And I know that's a jump, but just Ohio State teams, if they're known for one thing, it's that they they play ferocious doubles. And, you know, you're not af- afraid to play with different lineup types. I think you once played one guy like behind the server or just something funky a couple years back as a formation. Uh, just how important is the doubles point in college tennis and just how much planning goes into making sure your guys are fired up and ready to go for that. You know, the double point's huge. You know, we try to play a system. We played the same system for 20 years. And, uh, you know, we try to tweak it. We try to do different things. But, you know, the one thing in college tennis is you're going to lose players to graduation. You're going to lose players to injury. And if you're trying to find chemistry between doubles players, you know, it, it gets tough. But if everybody's playing the same system and everybody's practicing the same double system when you spend an hour a day on doubles and everybody did, then it's then it truly is the next man up. And you're not always looking for this righty with this lefty or this backhand return with this forehand return or this guy with that guy. You, you, you're more, you, you, you've got a system in, in place. And, uh, you know, this guy knows where I'm hitting it so I can play, you know, be a bigger force. And uh, we tried to put, uh, you know, a, a system in place that uh, would be able to handle losing people to graduation and losing people to entry. Well, okay, before I go on, I have to ask quick true or false question. Uh, a real doubles player serves in volleys. True or false? False. Oh, what? Coach Tucker, you're breaking false. my heart. False. You don't have to serve in volley. Explain that to me, please. We're, 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 talking, we're talking college tennis, right? I mean... We can get give me both answers, pro and college. Well, obviously, you know, in college tennis, you you, you don't have to be a uh, a servant volleyer on the first and second serve to be able to survive and be able to have big time success. I mean, you just you you, you don't have to be, and it's actually, you know, it's 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 actually, in my opinion, you you're just not going to, you know, I mean, most of these kids from ten to eighteen years old spend. 85, 90% of their time at the baseline and we come to the net to shake hands. So all of a sudden they get to college and you're having them serve in volley and they're running up against their freshmen and they're running up against two juniors and they're trying to serve in volley guys with huge ground strokes and great returns who are playing in a system and, uh, you know, making these guys come up with three or four volleys to win a point. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, it pays off to, you know, have, you know, one or two teams being able to uh, pick on some younger guys who, who aren't, uh, you know, as good at the net as they are at the uh, baseline, but they feel that they need to serve a volley because it's doubles. So, so I guess my counterpoint to that, and again, you watch them a lot more than I did, but in the matches I've seen them play, you know, the team I think of is Tubert and Mendez. You know, those guys are so aggressive at the net and their ability to take control of the net. I mean, regardless of if they are, or not the more talented singles player on the court, you know, that's the difference. When you can take the net in doubles, that's everything. But you're talking about Mendez, who was in his fifth year, and it's the only year that he started for the Buckeyes. That's very, very fair counterpoint. So, but... I mean, you've got, got Kubrick Mendez, you get at the end of the year, you get two guys with eight years of experience. You've got a fifth-year senior and a, and a junior, and uh, we've gone through every, and as I started this thing, get every ball with a purpose. In every practice for eight for, for, for their eight years. 
And uh, so, you know, you give those guys able to get to the net. You want them to get to the net to be able to handle handle their stuff. And ultimately, that's what, you know, they develop into. But you can't. It's one set. You cannot send guys out there on a, on a point that's so important as doubles. And, uh, you know, serve and volley guys just uh, just because it's doubles. Yeah. Uh, unless they unless they can now, Martin Joyce, you can serve and volley him all the time. Uh, you can serve and volley uh, Torpegard some of the time, especially on his first serve. But you're almost better to to keep Torpegard back and uh, get 90 mile an hour ground strokes to people deep, and you know, making some guy only being able to get 50 percent pace on off that ball, or they're going to lose 90 percent of their consistency. So, you know, there's uh, different ways to skin a cat, but you know, I like. Uh, Ty Tucker prom experience. Twenty-two minutes yeah. of stress. I like it. It's 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 it's, it's sometimes you, <laughs> sometimes I, I'm 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 squinting so uh, I I don't have to watch the point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have and to so. say. I, uh, while watching you guys play Mississippi State, I was just watching, you know, in the least creepy way possible, I was watching your mannerisms and your pace and back and forth, you know, chewing on the bottle cap, doing your things. Uh, you know, I guess, I don't want to say that's shocking for a coach to see, but, you know, I've seen some videos of you as well. You're celebrating with the guys, you know, when the water bottles are in the air in the locker room and things like that. Uh, is that intensity something you bring to every practice? Is it a match thing? Is it, you know, knowing when to amp your guys up? Or is it just- no, it's, it's every practice. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's my job to, to bring the energy and uh, Justin Cronaughty's job and David Schilling. And if we can bring the energy for three hours a day, we can stay in shape uh, in, a, in a northern team and be able to handle the uh, elements that we'll face at the end of the year. But it, it won't happen if... Uh, you know, I mean, it's a long season. I mean, tennis is a long season. And uh, if you can't uh, get your guys to uh, be motivated for practice, you, you know, you're, gonna, you're leaving it to chance come match day. So, you know, we try to, uh, you know, eat at the right time, the coaches. So, you know, as you get a little bit older, you start eating an hour and 15 minutes before practice and you get a little bit tired. So, you know, there's... Uh, have to uh, make sure that you know if your practice starts at twelve forty-five every day that the fork isn't going in your mouth after ten. So <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, you know that, that's my job is to uh, be the most motivated, high energy guy out there and uh, make sure that our guys are you know putting in that uh, same. It, it, it doesn't matter uh, you know if it's January or if it's May. I mean every time we take the tennis court, our our job is to hit every ball with purpose and we've got to be at that uh, high energy and if I'm expecting the guys to give it everything I have to be able to give it everything and Justin and Dave have to be able to give it everything and uh, you know that's uh, what we're hoping the you know secret to our success is. No, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned these qualities, you know, they have to be motivated. You talked about Hunter and Matt, every ball with a purpose. But looking at your teams over the years, and again, you guys have had so much success. I think it's, what, 13 out of 14 Big Ten titles, 12 out of 13, something crazy like that. 
Uh, he won 13 straight Big Ten titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But you right. <laughs> just can't. can't. You got to get it right. Yeah. I, I got to help you get it right. That's a little Ty Tucker trivia. I like it. But, yeah. yeah so. I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, it's uh, 13 straight regular season titles and 11 out of 13 tournament titles. Th- there we go. That's what it was, uh, of course. Yeah, and there's some good Illinois teams there. Michigan on the rise. I got to love what Coach Steinberg's doing. But getting back to it, you know, all these qualities you talk about of that you coaches bring, what are the qualities you, you see from your most successful teams? Is it something in the locker room? Is it the off-court work? You know, what makes them the most successful? I think selfless players. I think uh, there's a lot of guys that could go play places that could be stars right away and have chances for NCAA success at a, at a younger age and have all big to be an all Big Ten member. And uh, you know they buy into the fact that it's a, it's a team and that uh, you know if their their point at number six singles every bit as big as the point at number one singles and uh, the doubles is uh, very important and. You know, you just get guys that are, you know, there for the, the team. And uh, it makes my job easier. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy because tennis is an individual sport for uh, for most of your career. And uh, next thing you know, you're in college playing tennis. And sometimes you think that you should be playing four, but you're playing six. Or you should be playing here. Or you should be playing with that doubles partner. And, uh, you know, we never get any complaining from parents, from any of the players. It's uh one goal is to uh, overachieve and that uh, seniors have their best year. The two goals that we set out for every season with uh, every player. And uh, and if we can get the seniors to have their best years and we can get guys to overachieve, then uh, the results are going to come. Well, you talk about being a selfless player and buying into that team culture. I've noticed you more so than other coaches really do utilize the red shirt as a tool to, you know, allow players to grow accustomed to that college environment. You know, is that something you're aware of or is it something really it's a player by player basis? Well, I mean, obviously we're going to play anybody that, uh, you know, can start in our top six, but you know, our job is to, our job is to have players that once they're in the system, two years, maybe they came out at college or high school tennis, junior tennis, 35, 40 in the country. And, and by the time they're starting their third year, whether it's their junior year or the redshirt sophomore year, you know, our job is to make sure that they're as good as, any freshman that's coming in, you know, there might be four or five guys that are, you know, world beaters coming in, but our job is to make sure that these guys after two years on campus are every bit as good as, you know, the six, seven, eight guy coming in in the freshman class. Yeah. If, if that makes sense to you. No, it definitely does. And so, you know, in terms of on the, the counter to that, you know, making sure players take their time before they're ready. You talk about guys, again, I'm not going to forget them this time, but the Rollas, the Torps, the Chase Buchanans. Uh, when, you're, when you're dealing with a player of that caliber, how do you counsel them as a coach about whether it's time to go pro or whether they should come back for one more year? I mean, the real counseling comes in the beginning when you're a player like Chase Buchanan and you're finally in the Orange Bowl and you're and you're going to the U.S. Open Finals and you know you're 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 coming to college tennis and you're and you're playing five and six at the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I mean that, and, that's uh, that's when the, that's when the I mean I think everybody knows you know as you get closer to to pro tennis I mean you've got to be top two hundred. 
30 in the world to make the qualifying of the Grand Slams. And, you know, for all players out there, not just my team, but, I mean, you, you don't want to turn professional until you're 16 or 18 months away of being a player who could be in the in the Grand Slam qualifying, which takes you to 230, in the world. So, you know, I think you know when you're when you're winning futures and you're going out to challengers and you're competing well in the challengers and, and you're not doing that two times out of ten, but you're doing it eight times out of ten when you're playing those tournaments. I think you kind of know, but I think the hard part for these guys is they come in top 20 in the world junior rankings and they played in the round of 16 of the junior grand slams and they honestly think they're two years away from from being there in, in the pro tennis and and they're more like four or five years away yeah, and that and, uh, that's probably that's when the, the tough yeah. counseling comes exactly yeah i can only imagine you know? but then so you know again distinguishing between a guy like rolla and a guy like torp i mean torp mentioned on his podcast that rolla was really the exception you know he had won the doubles the year before then the next year he wins the singles event you know guys just winning every match at one singles is that a point uh where you're just saying you know every match except for Dominic Tom Mueller from Nebraska who beat him that year. Oh, of course. Well, again, I, I've blocked out the rolling years, but just... Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the roller was ready to turn pro. He, he was ready to turn pro. I, I mean, Chase Buchanan started early, as did somebody like J.J. Wolf, so... Chase Buchanan graduated high school early and he started his senior year in high school. So you start then and you get three and a half years of tennis and you get get better and you get stronger and you're still 21 years old. And I think the average age of the top 100 in the world is like 28, 28 years old. Uh, you, you know, you know, starting your pro career at 21 with a, with a college degree in hand, I, I, I don't see how that can't be the best of both worlds. Yeah, and you know, I do want to be cognizant of your time, so you know, I'll. No, you know, no, try I got another three hours. <laughs> oh well, then I gone. then I have plenty of questions for you. So then I want to, one more thing about pro development, or just in terms of college tennis. You know, no ad scoring is a, a big deal when they made that change, and the year you guys won the national indoors, they played sets like to five all with a tiebreaker at six. Now they're playing. You know, they seem to have settled on two out of three sets with no ad scoring throughout, and then. And, um, in terms of doubles, it's Michigan one to... man, and you're diminishing that accomplishment. <laughs> Did you like the subtle there, dig? There, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Not diminishing it at all, Coach. I was... to the victors. Well, uh, Alex Damajan's one of my favorite college tennis players of all time. So that loss, that senior year when uh, Metka came back against Ty, I think I was watching the live stream, and there was the double hit, and I was like, what just happened? Like, I just remember uh, the whole ordeal, but I, I suppose that's another story. But I, okay, back to no ad. Uh, you know, in terms of entertainment versus development, uh, no ad is entertaining because it incorporates the sudden death. But to you, do you think it hinders development? Does it help? Do you like that sudden death aspect? What do you think? You know, obviously, I don't like change, and you know, it was it was tough to get used to. But you know, I feel as a player, you know, I think these great tennis players who really have a chance to maybe play some professional tennis uh i think it's good for the development because you have to concentrate on you know the first points i mean you see in this college tennis it's so funny somebody gets a break of serve and they're yelling to all six courts got the break and jumping up and down and everybody has their own little sack dance but by the time 
But by the time their dance is over, they're serving in its 15:30, and no ad tennis. You know, you're going to face a break point if you're serving at 15:30. You know, you're going to have to win three points in a row to not face a break point. So, you know, it makes guys, you know, truly understand how important every point is because it's hard to capture that momentum and no ad scoring, especially with all the sack dances that go on. <laughs> so then, that's it. Let's get into that. The We'll call it the energy in college tennis. It's phenomenal. I really think, you know, I've been to the big house. I've been to the horseshoe. I've been all throughout all these great venues. And to me, and I'm a tennis nerd on a tennis podcast, so take it with a grain of salt. But there's nothing more thrilling than a close 4-3 college tennis match. You know, you guys are playing, you know, Mississippi State, and it comes down to number one versus number two in the country, Tort versus Nuno. You know, that's what you want out of your sporting events. Uh then there's the counterpoint to that where you say, all right, these kids are out of control. It's obnoxious. There are overrules on every chord. These kids are screaming at the top of their lungs. Uh, where do you stand in the whole demeanor debate in, I guess, college tennis right now? You know, I, 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 love, the, uh, I love the enthusiasm. I love the college tennis. But, uh, you know, for our team and for what we're trying to do and uh, – how we're coaching throughout the year i mean it's it's all right to celebrate but uh you know it's 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 really not a break of serve until you get the hold so <laughs> you know i'd rather see a self or uh you know a few minutes later after you get the hold of serve but uh for the most part that's what we're out there for you've got three coaches you got to calm them down i'll go to uh you know call the play that uh you want to see and try to uh manage situations to get to keep that moment for a little while and uh it's, it's 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 tough you know it's been great for the spectators you know it's been great you you, you can come to a tennis match and you know you can come on saturday at noon and, and, and you know the winner by 215 and and you can for a fan it's it's there, there's nothing better you know for the coaches it's it's tough because you know there's tight calls there's there's uh everything that goes on in tennis matches in, in college and uh I, we, we, we try to uh, let our guys uh, be themselves and uh, have fun because they're young guys and they put a lot of time in. But it's a, at the same time, uh, you, you and there's no ad scoring. You, you, you better be able to uh, keep your focus and your concentration because truly every point matters. Well, I think it really exposes the cojones of all these guys serving. I mean, in the women's as well, you see it. You, know, you have to be able to handle the pressure. I think the most impressive part of watching Torp play uh, when I got to see him in uh, Wake Forest was just, you know, under pressure. The guy is stone cold. He gets broken, doesn't matter. He's back at the bench. He's ready to break back. It's just the next point. And he does have that demeanor, and you imagine it will bode well for him moving forward. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And did, did you, I lose you? No, no, no. I still got you. Okay. But uh, I, I'm just talking for a while. I, I can get a little preachy. Go I know. <laughs> but just uh, in terms of this no ad scoring, uh, you talked about its entertainment value, and I, I'm sure you don't think about this often, but would you be interested in seeing the Pro Tour incorporate no ad scoring into its matches? I, you know, I don't. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of things that uh, I uh, would like to see in, in pro tennis, and uh, 
Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm on tour, you know, trying to see, you know, what's going to keep the fans interested, what's going to bring more television, what's going to put, you know, tennis back to where it was when, when I got started, where, you know, the parks were full of people playing tennis because everybody knew that it was going to be McEnroe and Borg or McEnroe and Connors or Borg and Connors uh, deciding who was going to win sets. It was going to be Navratilova versus Chris Everett Lloyd. And, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, at that time, in that era, you know, Oh, I, I, tennis was was you know right up there with with uh, you know right after the three major sports and uh, I feel that uh, tennis hasn't kept up in the in the past twenty five years so I would like to you know see all kinds of changes you know I think that uh, any changes you, you know, want to share now uh, no, no I, <laughs> no, I, I, there's there's lots of uh, right. there's lots of things I mean I just you know I. Uh, I honestly believe that, uh, you know, some of these guys, when you see in, in tennis, they, you, 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 as, a, as a fan, you, you never really get to see, you know, what's under the hood. You know, they've, they've got collared shirts on and long shorts, and, and you really don't get to see, you know, what kind of shape these guys are in, what they, what they look, you know, what they look like. And, you know, I think back to years back watching beach volleyball, and, uh, you know, you see those guys, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, you know, three percent body fat you know eight, eight abs you know and you see people all over watching and now i go online and i watch these hundred and twenty seven thousand dollar challengers on the computer when roll is playing and you'll see these guys playing and they'll be playing in front of nine people <laughs> yeah exactly you know and yeah. i just think there's different ways to to, to get uh, the younger crowd involved and you know, get them into tennis because it truly is. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, the 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 athletes in tennis are uh, truly phenomenal. I mean, when you look at uh, you look at some of these guys out out there, you know, six foot four, running four four forties, and jumping well and strong. And uh, I just don't think that uh, you know the non tennis, you know, the non tennis public. I, I don't think they realize, you know, what kind of athletes these guys are. All right, so quick abstract uh, question here, but better pound for pound athlete, Mikhail Torpegard or Zeke Elliott? I mean, obviously, you know, when you're going with, uh, <laughs> you know, Zeke Elliott, I mean, you're going to have to go with Zeke, but, uh, you know, oh. there are some other guys that you could uh, pull sure. from, from the NBA and Major League Baseball and football. You don't have to go to a skilled player like a wide receiver or a, a running back who's a beast, but, uh, you know, you've got some, you know, you've got some guys that are, you know, truly uh, phenomenal and, uh, you know, their movements and, you know, stopping and starting and the kind of shape they're in to play a three out of five set tennis match. And got a little bit of everything. And uh, it's uh, truly, uh, you know, I, I see the training they do day in and day out. And I see the kind of numbers they put up in the weight room, the kind of numbers they put up in shuttle runs, the kind of numbers they put up in dashes, the kind of numbers they put up in 400-yard runs. And, uh, you know, it truly is, uh, you know, phenomenal, these guys. And they're all in the, the baggy shorts and uh, the long shirts. And uh, I don't think uh, people know that, uh, you know, you've got after six foot three, 189 pounds with not an ounce of fat on them. And, you know, an, an, an eight pack. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, you, I think uh, you just described Martin Joyce. You know, I just <laughs> described a, a lot of 
There's a lot of tennis players around the world who are, uh, you know, funny. extremely physically fit. But, uh, you know, tennis is such a, such a tough, tough go. I mean, if you if you look at it in professional tennis and you break it down, it's like 10 guys born in 2000 will make a living playing tennis in the entire world. 10 guys born in 1999 in the entire world will be able to make a living playing tennis. Yeah. 10 guys born in 1998. And I mean, you go through, you know, guys 18 years old to 39 years old playing on the pro tour. And, you know, you start getting into looking in the top 120 in the world and you start seeing that Jiminy Grimini, there's only seven guys born in 1996 who are making a living. Yeah. And then you realize how tough it is. Let's go the real day life with the singer. Today we'll drink coffee in my kitchen. I made sure. Did it never song? I just wanted to go away. You decided to stay in the well. I want to be forgiven. I don't like to skip for money. Sorry, I was scared. You're not the way it feels. Like to sleep with him for so much to come in and kill you. The fun I didn't stop now, I'm not a prince of anything Go take on a kill, anyone I feel so powerful They jump at you, I bring your skin up, everything is confusing You will be good, but you will be poor You will be good, but you will be poor